Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what's up for today? So today we're going to be listening to Robert Mueller's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, which is on the Russia investigation and on obstruction of justice, which was part one and then part two of the Mueller report. Now, a couple of big themes here are that the Democrats are going to be really congratulating Robert Mueller and looking to have him say that Trump committed obstruction of justice, even though Robert Mueller is going to keep referencing back to what is in the report. In fact, in his introduction, that's what he says. I'm going to rely on just what was in the report. That is my statement. But he does give away quite a bit of information here. And you're going to see the Republicans really looking to discredit the report and to have him say that President Trump is completely not doing anything wrong, hasn't done anything wrong, and to frame the report in terms of that particular proposal. There are some things that are a little bit tricky about that, of course, which we're going to get into. Now, to begin with here today, we're going to be listening to Jerry Nadler, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And Representative Nadler is really going to be talking about some themes of what they want the Democrats to think about and what they want for the American public to think about, how he views this whole issue and, by extension, how the Democrats as a whole view it. Then later on, we're going to be hearing about how the Republicans view it. So to start off here with Nadler, we're going to be looking at all of the different ways that he's communicating these themes. Let's take a listen to this first clip. Director Mueller, thank you for being here. I want to say just a few words about our themes today. Responsibility, integrity, and accountability. Your career, for example, is a model of responsibility. You are a decorated Marine officer. You were awarded a Purple Heart and the Bronze Star for Valor in Vietnam. You served in senior roles at the Department of Justice, and in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, you served as director of the FBI. Two years ago, you returned to public service to lead the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 elections. You conducted that investigation with remarkable integrity. For 22 months, you never commented in public about your work even when you were subjected to repeated and grossly unfair personal attacks. Instead, your indictments spoke for you and in astonishing detail. Over the course of your investigation, you obtained criminal indictments against 37 people and entities. You secured the conviction of President Trump's campaign chairman, his deputy campaign manager, his national security advisor, and his personal lawyer, among others. In the Paul Manafort case alone, 
you recovered as much as $42 million so that the cost of your investigation to the taxpayers approaches zero. And in your report, you offer the country accountability as well. In volume one, you find that the Russian government attacked our 2016 elections, quote, in a sweeping and systematic fashion, and that the attacks were designed to benefit the Trump campaign. Volume two walks us through 10 separate incidents of possible obstruction of justice, where in your words, President Trump attempted to exert undue influence over your investigation. The president's behavior included, and I quote from your report, quote, public attacks on the investigation, non-public efforts to control it, and efforts in both public and private to encourage witnesses not to cooperate, close quote. Among the most shocking of these incidents, President Trump ordered his White House counsel to have you fired and then to, to lie and deny that it had happened. He ordered his former campaign manager to convince the recused attorney general to step in and limit your work. And he attempted to prevent witnesses from cooperating with your investigation. Although department policy barred you from indicting the president for this conduct, you made clear that he is not exonerated. Any other person who acted in this way would have been charged with crimes. And in this nation, not even the president is above the law. Which brings me to this committee's work. Responsibility, integrity, and accountability. These are the marks by which we who serve on this committee will be measured as well. Director Mueller, we have a responsibility to address the evidence that you have uncovered. You recognize as much when you said, quote, the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing, close quote. That process begins with the work of this committee. We will follow your example, Director Mueller. We will act with integrity. We will follow the facts where they lead. We will consider all appropriate remedies. We will make our recommendation to the House when our work concludes. We will do this work because there must be accountability for the conduct described in your report, especially as it relates to the president. Thank you again, Director Mueller. We look forward to your testimony. It is now my pleasure to recognize the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, the gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Collins, for his opening statement. So right from the very beginning, we hear Jerry Nadler talking about themes. Okay, what are our themes? Responsibility, integrity, and accountability. And when he starts talking about themes, of course, this is a way of framing everything that's going to come forward in everyone else's mind. Now, whose mind is it that he's really talking to? Democrats, of course, mainly. Because that whole idea of responsibility, integrity, accountability, that's that sense of holding President Trump accountable, having the responsibility to bring things to justice. That's the idea in which that Nadler wants to bring forth. And then he uses Mueller and he casts Mueller in this way of, well, Mr. Mueller, you're basically just a perfect example of responsibility. Your career is a model of responsibility. You're this way and you're that way and you've done this and you've done that. And so he's reading Robert Mueller's record as if Mueller himself doesn't know his record or what he's actually done. And it's just a little bit odd because he's giving this style of a speech, supposedly talking to Mueller, 
But who is he really talking to? He's talking to everyone else, you know, that is really listening to this in the background. Yeah, he really repeats those themes twice and really tries to hammer it out in, in everything that he does. And, you know, you sort of see that that's the themes that the Democrats will talk about the entire time. And not just that, but, you know, we can get to the overall strategy of the Democrats in general here. The Democrats really want to talk about how Mueller is that war hero that's protecting America from, you know, the Trump campaign and, you know, all of their illegal actions. And so what we see is Nadler here trying Trying to paint that picture and you know get that in your head because of course he's the chairman so he gets to frame the entire hearing before anybody else gets to hear it and what i particularly loved here was the way that he separated it out that volume one volume two language where that's just like Mueller's report right there and with Volume one, he's able to A, frame the Russians and their attack on, you know, our democracy. And then number two, he breaks it down with the instances of obstruction of justice. And he uses quotes from the Mueller report itself saying that, you know, that there's some other process other than the, the justice system to handle this. And that's what we're here to do. You know, he's sort of framing that as, you know, anybody in this room right now now has this job that you laid out, that you presented to us. Now, you'll hear later on the Republicans try to frame, you know, that report and what the report presented in a very different light. But right now we get Jerry Nadler here sort of presenting this as, you know, this is the duty. Everything that we're about to say isn't just being mean. It's not just a witch hunt. Like, this is our constitutional duty. And, you know, now everything that the Democrats say from here on forward is about upholding that responsibility. And if you're not doing what we're doing, then you're not. Yeah. And he says it in a way that leaves absolutely no doubt as to what has actually occurred. Right. So volume two walks us through 10 separate instances of possible obstruction of justice, where in your words, President Trump exerted undue influence over your investigation. The president's behavior included, quote, public attacks on the investigation, non-public efforts to control it, and encouraging witnesses not to cooperate. Trump ordered his White House counsel to have you fired and then to lie and deny that it had happened. So already he sets this whole thing up as Trump is a liar. He's a denier. He tried to interfere with the investigation. And that's why we have this responsibility to now bring him to justice and inform everyone about what actually happened. Now, later on, you're going to hear the Republicans say it as, well, the truth is Trump never fired the special counsel. And because he never fired the special counsel, then Trump wasn't really interfering with the investigation. Um, it's a, it's an interesting way of you know thinking about it. So now in this next clip, in this next part here, we're going to be hearing from the Republican response to this which is even more interesting than what Jerry Nadler just said. Because the Republican intro is going to be from Representative Doug Collins of Georgia, who is a ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. And a big theme here is how fast he talks and the tempo of his voice. Just listen to how quickly he goes through these sentences as if he's just saying almost anything. He's just going to be going through it really quickly. Now, talking quickly is a persuasive device. 
Someone who talks quickly, their ideas are viewed to be more credible and they're seen to be smarter because they talk really fast. But essentially, he doesn't give you enough time to think about what he is actually saying. And we wouldn't really want to break this down because he says a lot of things here that are quite interesting. Maybe not true, but quite interesting. So let's go ahead and listen to this clip here of Doug Collins, and we're going to then break it down and really tell you what is going on here about what he says. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Mr. Mueller, for being here. For two years leading up to the release of the Mueller report, and in the three months since, Americans were first told what to expect and then what to believe. Collusion, we were told, was in plain sight, even if the special counsel's team didn't find it. When Mr. Mueller produced his report and Attorney General Barr provided it to every American, we read no American conspired with Russia to interfere in our elections, but learned the depths of Russia's malice toward America. We are here to ask serious questions about Mr. Mueller's work, and we will do that. After an extended, unhampered investigation, today marks an end to Mr. Mueller's involvement in an investigation that closed in April. The burden of proof for accusations that remain unproven is extremely high, and especially in light of the special counsel's thoroughness. We are told this investigation began as an inquiry into whether Russia meddled in our 2016 election. Mr. Mueller, you concluded they did. Russians accessed Democrat servers and disseminated sensitive information by tricking campaign insiders into revealing protected information. The investigation also reviewed whether Donald Trump, the president, sought Russian assistance as a candidate to win the presidency. Mr. Mueller concluded he did not. His family or advisors did not. In fact, the report concludes no one in the president's campaign colluded, collaborated, or conspired with the Russians. The president watched the public narrative surrounding this investigation, assumed assumed his guilt while he knew the extent of his innocence. Volume 2 of Mr. Mueller's report details the president's reaction to frustrating investigation where his innocence was established early on. The president's attitude toward the investigation was understandably negative, yet the president did not use his authority to close the investigation. He asked his lawyer if Mr. Mueller had conflicts that disqualified Mr. Mueller from the job, but he did not shut down the investigation. The president knew he was innocent. Those are the facts of the Mueller report. Russia meddled in the 2016 election, the president did not conspire with the Russian, and nothing we hear today will change those facts. But one element of this story remains, the beginnings of the FBI investigation into the president. I look forward to Mr. Mueller's testimony about what he found during his review of the origins of the investigation. In addition, the inspector general continues to review how baseless gossip can be used to launch an FBI investigation against a private citizen, and eventually a president. Those results will be released and we will need to learn from them to ensure government intelligence and law enforcement powers are never again used and turned on a private citizen or a potential or political candidate as a result of the political leanings of a handful of FBI agents. The origins and conclusion of the Mueller investigation are the same things, what it means to be American. Every American has a voice in our democracy, so it must protect the sanctity of their voice by combating election interference. Every American enjoys the presumption of innocence and guarantee of due process. If we carry nothing, anything away today, it must be that we increase our vigilance against foreign election interference while we ensure our government officials don't weaponize their power against the constitutional rights guaranteed to every U.S. citizen. Finally, we must agree that the opportunity cost here is too high. The months we have spent investigating from this dice fail to end the border crisis or contribute to the growing job market. Instead, we have gotten stuck and it's paralyzed this committee and this House. And as a side note, 
Every week I leave my family and kids, the most important things to me, to come to this place because I believe this place is a place where we can actually do things and help people. Six and a half years ago, I came here to work on behalf of the people of the 9th District in this country. And we accomplished a lot in those first six years on a bipartisan basis with many of my friends across the aisle sitting on this dais with me today. However, this year, because the majority's dislike of this president and the endless hearing into a closed investigation have caused us to accomplish nothing except talk about the problems of our country while our border is on fire in crisis and everything else is stopped. This hearing is long overdue. We've had truth for months. No American conspired to throw our election. What we need today is to let that truth bring us confidence. And I hope, Mr. Chairman, closure. With that, I yield back. Yeah, so here you hear sort of the rapid fire, point after point after point from Doug Collins. Now, this is really important. Like Taylor said, you know, he's sort of building his credibility by speaking fast. You know, he must know what he's talking about because he has all of these facts that he just rattles off. He frames all of this. He sort of injects little pieces of persuasion without giving anybody the time to actually, you know, break down. Oh, is what he said actually true? So if we start off with the very beginning here, he goes in with collusion. We were told at the outset was in plain sight. Well, a, who actually said this, that collusion was in plain sight. But then he goes on to say that when Mueller produced his report and, you know, Attorney General provided his summary to every American that they read, no American conspired with Russia to interfere in our elections. And so that's interesting because that is a- absolutely not what the Mueller report actually said. Uh, and this is something that you'll see throughout the Republicans commentary here. We've we've mentioned this on other episodes of this podcast that the Republicans like to say that the Mueller report, because it did not conclude, it could not conclusively prove that anybody conspired with the Russians, that that means that there is no conspiracy. Nobody conspired with the Russians. And that's just not factually true. Somebody could conspire with the Russians, but there's inadequate evidence for Mueller to conclude that somebody colluded with them and therefore produce a report that says we don't have enough evidence to say that anybody colluded. It's the, uh, ironically, it's the very same thing that the Republicans are railing against, right? Is that they're, they're saying this, that there's this reverse burden of proof on Trump that when Mueller produced his report and he included volume two, which said that he was unable to prove innocence or guilt of President Trump on obstruction of justice, that the Republicans are saying, well, why did you produce that report then? Uh, if you're not concluding that there is guilt, there is a presumption of innocence. Right. And so, you know, what they're doing here is is really sort of the the exact same thing that they're railing against Mueller for doing by claiming that, you know, the Mueller report has no proof of collusion with Russia. Therefore, it proves definitively that no American conspired with Russia to interfere in our elections. And so you'll see them sort of play fast and loose with these facts and with these definitions here. But uh, but that's sort of their way of, of edging in their persuasion. Yeah. And we hear these amazing set of persuasive devices. It's 
You know what this is like? This is like one of those daytime talk shows that has the paternity tests, right? <laughs> that tells you, you know, this, this happened. So, you know, Mr. Mueller, you concluded that Russia did interfere in the election. The investigation also looked into whether he sought Russian assistance to win the presidency. Mr. Mueller concluded he did not. His family or advisors did not. So it's like, you know, you are not the father. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what he's doing here. But you know what? That's so dramatic. And people love that stuff. They eat it up. That's why those shows are still still on the air. And then we hear him continuing here where he talks about, you know, the president watched the public narrative surrounding the investigation. Okay, first of all, this is all getting into what Trump's perception is. How do we know what President Trump was doing? He watched this narrative. It's like we're in the room with him and he's watching this. He watched the public narrative and assumed he watched the public narrative assume his guilt while he knew the extent of his innocence. Well, that's mind reading. We don't know what he knew, but this is something that you're going to hear a lot through this hearing. The Republicans are talking about how Trump knew that he was innocent. And I don't even know what this phrase means, the extent of his innocence. Like, aren't you either innocent or you're guilty? What is the extent (laughs) of innocence? That's making it a scaled thing. So perhaps... What Doug Collins is really revealing here, because words are very powerful, right? Sometimes someone says something without saying it. Maybe what he's really repe- uh, really saying here is that Trump isn't totally innocent, but he's mostly innocent by a preponderance of the evidence or something like that. And then volume two of Mr. Mueller's report details the president's frustration to the investigation, quote, where his innocence was established early on. And so what he's doing here is he's moving in and out of quotes. So he talks about what Mueller actually said in the report. And then without saying end quote, without actually ending what Mueller said or what the report said, he continues on to talk. But now what he's talking about are his subjective interpretations or what he thinks. So he continues the quote from his previous sentence, which blurs the line between what he said and And what Mueller said, he continues, the president's attitude toward the investigation was understandably negative, and yet the president did not use his authority to close the investigation. He asked his lawyer if Mr. Mueller had conflicts, but he did not, you know, again, you're not the father, he did not shut down the investigation, (laughs) and the president knew that he was innocent. So he's suggesting here that Trump didn't shut down that investigation because he knew that he was innocent. Not because it might be politically bad for Trump to shut down this investigation, which if you're paying attention, everyone freaking knows that's why he didn't shut the investigation down is because it would look really bad for him to stop it. It wasn't because he's such a nice guy. And this is what this is being painted as is that President Trump is just this innocent everyday guy. He's just this guy that's, you know, had a tough streak. He's this guy that has been really put through um, a lot of negative things. And he's just like any other average Joe who is, you know, being um, run through the rails by big government. And then, you know, he says this thing at the end. He says, these are the facts of the Mueller report. 
Well, no, those are the facts as you just explained them to us, right? Those are the facts as you just told them to us in your interpretation. So he says, you know, Russia meddled in the 2016 election. The president did not conspire with Russia and hear this and nothing we hear today will change those facts. So he's painting himself as the truth teller. And then he does that technique of now inoculation. Nothing we hear today will change those facts. He's inoculating against later on someone saying something that might be perceived as a fact. And he's saying to them, well, those are the facts and nothing we hear today is going to change that or not. And then he goes on to his you know, narrative here about um, one element of the story remains. The inspector general continues to review how baseless gossip can be used to launch an investigation into a private citizen and eventually a president. And, you know, when I heard this, it was just like, man, this guy really has a lot of guts to stand up here and say something like that that is so ridiculous, as if Trump is just another private citizen. You know, it's it's not true. And then he has this quote here that something he says on the next line that I really found quite chilling. And he says, these results will be released and we will need to learn from them to ensure that government intelligence and law enforcement powers are never again used and turned on a private citizen or a potential and political candidate as a result of the political leanings of a handful of FBI agents. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, I don't want for the FBI, when they think that someone has may be guilty, to actually be able and have the power to investigate them. How ridiculous is that? And that is exactly the opposite of due process. It's the opposite of actually checks and balances where we're going through this system, you know, as Americans. And a little bit later in this speech, he stops his rapid fire fashion. And it was such a timed moment. Because right here at this moment where he stops and he says, and as a side note, <laughs> as a side note, and then he slows dramatically down. Every week I leave my family and kids. And then he speeds right back up. The most important things to me to come to this place, because I believe this place is a place where we can do things and help people. So he has this confusing language, place, place, place. And then it's do things and help people. But again, what does that mean exactly? What exactly is he talking about, you know, throughout that whole thing? I don't know, but it sounds extremely persuasive and some of it, quite a lot of it, a little bit dishonest. Yeah, you sort of see, you know, at the beginning of his rant, he's, you know, very much in the details talking about fact after fact after fact, quote unquote. And then he starts chunking up at the end into, you know, what does it all mean? What are the... What are the larger ideals here? And he goes into, you know, how the origin and conclusion of the Mueller investigation um, are the same. They're the result of what it means to be an American (laughs) and that every American enjoys the presumption of innocence and due process. Um, Oh, man. And so, you know, uh, even talking about that uh, idea that Taylor mentioned where, you know, uh, the FBI shouldn't investigate uh, and so he's sort of turning this uh, this idea that to be investigated means that you don't have a presumption of innocence, um, even though, as he's claiming that the Mueller report uh, concluded 
definitively Trump's innocence. So, you know, his his very argument here undercuts his end point uh, that, you know, investigation equals some sort of undue, unfair, un-American thing. When in the reality, like clearly investigating has ended with a very just conclusion um, if we're if we are to believe that it concluded that Trump had no collusion and uh, and no obstruction. Um, and then that point there where he gets to, you know, talking about his kids and this greater ideal and, you know, how, you know, he's just a, a down home family man who decided to pick up and come to Washington to make a difference. And and, you know, every week he shows up to, you know, really, you know, do great work on behalf of his constituents. But this year, this year, the majority's dislike of the president caused them to do nothing for this country. Um, and so, you know, here we have him sort of weaponizing this to, you know, say that the Democrats don't care about, you know, his kids, his constituents, his country, uh, because they've stopped everything they've, that, that all of Congress is doing in order to, you know, investigate a potential wrongdoing. Um, which, you know, is, is A, it's false because the, the Congress has passed, you know, a record number of, you know, of bills of legislation. But B, it really, you know, frames, you know, any sort of investigation that the, that the Democrats want to launch as being some sort of uh, un-American or, uh, you know, uh, petty dislike of the president that they're just, uh, they're just nitpicking and and being very unfair based on you know unfair bias that they have um and not actual concerns about wrongdoing and so he sort of he he does all of this so quickly that it's hard to catch exactly you know what he's saying and what you know these things are founded on yeah it's really interesting how the speed that he says this influences so much of how it's perceived so he says this you know uh he says that this year, because of the majority's dislike of the president, it's caused us to accomplish nothing in this country while, quote, our border is on fire and crisis and everything else. And what exactly does that that mean? You know, but by now, at this point in his speech, our willpower is gone. So people can only concentrate on something for so long. And what he's doing is just bombarding you with so many arguments so many things that if you don't stop and slow down and hear what he's actually saying, then actually um, the willpower that you have to track the whole thing kind of goes away. And at that point, when he says stuff like our border is on fire and they're doing nothing, you know, the fail have failed to end the border crisis or contribute to the growing job market. Well, at that moment, all of that kind of goes into the person's mind. So I think that is his main you know, tactic here, and that's why he's speaking so quickly. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to hear John Ratcliffe. And John Ratcliffe is a Republican from Texas who's really going to be going after Mueller for going beyond the scope of the investigation uh, that he has. And it's, it's really interesting how he does this. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this clip. 
Good morning, Director. Uh, if you'll let me quickly summarize your opening statement this morning. You said in volume one on the issue of conspiracy, the special counsel determined that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. And then in volume two, for reasons that you explained, the special counsel did not make a determination on whether there was an obstruction of justice crime committed by the president. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Now, in explaining that special counsel did not make what you called a traditional prosecution or declination decision, the report on the bottom of page two of volume two reads as follows. The evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining that no criminal conduct occurred. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Now, uh, I read that correctly? Yes. All right. Now, your report, and today you said at all times the special counsel team operated under, was guided by, and followed Justice Department policies and principles. So, which DOJ policy or principle sets forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not conclusively determined? Can you repeat the last part of that question? Yeah. Which DOJ policy or principle set forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not conclusively determined? Uh, Where does that language come from, Director? Where is the DOJ policy that says that? Can you, let me make it easier. Can I, is, can I is there, you, I'm is, sorry, go ahead. It, can you give me an example other than Donald Trump where the Justice Department determined that an investigated person was not exonerated because I, their I, innocence was not conclusively determined? I, I, I cannot, but this is a unique okay, situation. Okay, well, I, you can't. Time is short. I've got five minutes. Let's just leave it at you can't find it because I'll tell you why. It doesn't exist. The special counsel's job, nowhere does it say that you were to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or that the special counsel report should determine whether or not to exonerate him. It's not in any of the documents. It's not in your appointment order. It's not in the special counsel regulations. It's not in the OLC opinions. It's not in the justice manual. And it's not in the principles of federal prosecution. Nowhere do those words appear together because respectfully, respectfully, Director, it was not the special counsel's job to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or to exonerate him because the bedrock principle of our justice system is a presumption of innocence. It exists for everyone. Everyone is entitled to it, including sitting presidents. And because there is a presumption of innocence, prosecutors never, ever need to conclusively determine it. Now, Director, the special counsel applied this inverted burden of proof that I can't find and you said doesn't exist anywhere in the department policies and you used it to write a report and the very first line of your report the very first line of your report says and you as you read this morning it authorizes the special counsel to provide the attorney general with a confidential report explaining the prosecution or declination decisions reached by the special counsel that's the very first word of your report right that's correct here's the problem director the special counsel didn't do that on volume one, you did. On volume two, with respect to potential obstruction of justice, the special counsel made neither a prosecution decision or a declination decision. You made no decision. You told us this morning and in your report that you made no determination. So respectfully, director, you didn't follow the special counsel regulations. It clearly says 
write a confidential report about decisions reached. Nowhere in here does it say write a report about decisions that weren't reached. You wrote 180 pages, 180 pages about decisions that weren't reached, about potential crimes that weren't charged or decided. And respectfully, respectfully, by doing that, you managed to violate every principle and the most sacred of traditions about prosecutors not offering extra prosecutorial analysis about potential crimes that aren't charged. So Americans need to know this as they listen to the Democrats and socialists on the other side of the aisle, as they do dramatic readings from this report, that volume two of this report was not authorized under the law to be written. It was written to a legal standard that does not exist at the Justice Department. And it was written in violation of every DOJ principle about extra prosecutorial commentary. I agree with the chairman this morning when he said Donald Trump is not above the law. He's not. But he damn sure shouldn't be below the law, which is where volume two of this report puts him. And so here we have a fiery moment with John Ratcliffe, who goes after Mueller for going beyond his scope. So, you know, he starts out here with trying to, you know, frame the uh, Mueller report in the DOJ policies and principles. And so he sort of asks, you know, which DOJ policy or principle sets forth a legal standard that an investigative person is not exonerated if their innocence is not conclusively determined. And when he says this, Mueller tries to respond and to, you know, try to answer after some clarification. And then uh, as soon as he realizes that Mueller is not going to give him the answer that he wants, that straight, you know, nowhere response, he jumps right back in and cuts him off, uh, claiming that there's limited time. So you ask a question and then Mueller tries to respond, but you're you're going to say that you've got limited, you, you don't have enough time to actually listen for Mueller's response. But then what happens here is that, you know, Ratcliffe just just makes his point. And uh, he has a quote here. He says, the special counsel applied this inverted burden of proof that I can't find and you said didn't exist. Well, Mueller never said that. It was just Ratcliffe answering for Mueller at the beginning uh, where Ratcliffe just, you know, said those words but in the context of, you know, this is what Mueller said, but it's not because he wouldn't let him actually say it. He answered for Mueller. And what did he answer? OK, he was talking about this really weirdly worded question. So which DOG policy or principle sets forth a legal standard like, you know, asking anything like that, unless it's just a cut and dry question. There's so many legal standards. How is Mueller going to know it right off the top of his head? Maybe he needs to do research. But sets forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence is not conclusively determined. So it's a double negative, and double negatives can be used to really confuse the mind, to get a person into a, a very confused state of mind. And so when you have a a not not, so we could put this like on a Cartesian coordinate, right? We could have something that is a yes and a no, we could have a yes and a yes, or a no and a yes the other way. But the not and the not is what's called a non-mirror image reverse. And so when you use a not and a not, it's very confusing to a person's mind actually listening to it like that 
And so naturally, Mueller doesn't want to incriminate himself because, again, he's under oath. And so he takes a half a second to try to figure out what is this guy actually saying? And then he just asks him, well, you know, can you find that? And then he just says, well, you can't. We only have a limited time. You can't. So let's just leave it at that. You can't it because it doesn't exist. So, again, he's he's putting words just as Alex just said there. He's putting words in his mouth. He's telling him what he is going to say. And then he then relies on later on in his you know, discourse. I mean, we could, could call it an exchange, but it's not really an exchange, you know, because Mueller's not saying much. Um, except for this part where he asks Mueller, what's the very first sentence or the very first word there in the report? Can you read that? Is that the very first word? And then Mueller says, yes. And then he says, there's the problem, director. And it's like, wait, what? What is he talking <laughs> about? It's the very first moment in the report. And there's the problem because you made no decision. You made no this. You made no that. Um, you know. He goes on later to talk about how volume two was not authorized by the American people, which, of course, is the obstruction to justice volume. So why would he want it to be authorized? He didn't. And then we have this, you know, interesting thing here. He says, well, the Democrats and socialists on the other side of the aisle are going to have you believe this. So what is he doing? He's putting them together. All Democrats are socialists is what he's saying. And, you know, then he keeps repeating this word. What did he keep repeating? Respectfully. Respectfully. You know, Mueller, respectfully. And as he says that, it's like, you know, just ask yourself, was that actually respectful? Well, no. When someone uses a word like that respectfully, it's a word that's called a hedge. So they are hedging what they're about to say. It's like if someone says, honestly. Well, honestly, this. And as soon as they say that, you know that whatever they're about to say is not honest or they're not honest in general, because if they have to be honest with you in that certain moment, then they're not being honest in general. So here, when we hear Ratcliffe saying respectfully, what does that say about his tendency to be respectful overall? Probably not that strong. Yeah. So he sort of concludes this um, with a little bit of an, an indictment of his own. He says, you know, I agree with the chairman that Donald Trump is not above the law, but he sh- he damn sure isn't below the law, which is where your report put him. Um, and really sort of just like, you know, caps off his his rant right there uh, with, you know, not letting Mueller talk about his report or get a word in edgewise. Um, and then sort of just just concludes it right there with that that play right there on, you know, the chairman's opening statement. Uh, he sort of takes that and whatever sort of, you know, a, a affiliation or associations that you might have with the, those statements, the opening statements, and he reframes those in his own light, which is negative um, in that, you know, Donald Trump is is below the law now and and he's just, you know, uh, being bullied. He's just this normal guy who just, you know, is being picked on by the big Justice Department. <laughs> Which see. is a funny juxtaposition when you see, you know, uh, Mueller on TV here as a, a 70 year old war vet that's sort of hunched over in his seat and, and can barely read. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how's this guy bullying Trump? Right. So now in this next section, we're going to hear from Ted Deutsch of Florida and what he has for Mueller. 
That, well, is, that is directly from the report. It is. And before he resigned, however, he called the president's chief of staff, Reince Priebus, and he called the president's senior advisor, Steve Bannon. Do you recall what McGahn told them? Uh, whatever uh, he was said will, be, will appear in the report. It, it is. It is. And it says on page 87, quote, Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president asked him to do crazy expletive. In other words, crazy stuff. The White House counsel thought that the president's request was completely out of bounds. He said the president asked him to do something crazy. It was wrong. And he was prepared to resign over it. Now, these are extraordinarily troubling events. But you found uh, White House counsel McGahn to be a credible witness. Isn't that correct? Correct. Director Mueller, the most important question I have for you today is why? Director Mueller, why did the President of the United States want you fired? Uh, I can't answer that question. Well, on, on page 89 in your report on volume two, you said, and I quote, substantial evidence indicates that the president's evident, that the president's attempts to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct and most immediately to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice close quote director muller you found evidence as you lay out in your report that the president wanted to fire you because you were investigating him for obstruction of justice. Isn't that correct? That's what it says in the report, yes. And I go, I stand by in the report. Director Mueller, that shouldn't happen in America. No president should be able to escape investigation by abusing his power. But that's what you testified to in your report. The president ordered you fired. The White House counsel knew it was wrong. The president knew it was wrong. In your report, it says there's also evidence the president knew he should not have made those calls to McGahn. But the president did it anyway. He did it anyway. Anyone else who blatantly interfered with a criminal investigation like yours would be arrested and indicted on charges of obstruction of justice. Director Mueller, you determined that you were barred from indicting a sitting president. We've already talked about that today. That is exactly why this committee must hold the president accountable. I yield back. And so with Ted Deutsch, he really digs in on, you know, what sort of uh, what sort of motivations does President Trump have and what sort of motivations does Mueller have? I love that moment right there where, you know, he asks Director Mueller, the most important question I have for you today is why? And Mueller just kind of sits there. <laughs> why did the president want you fired? <laughs> and he's, you know, meek and just kind of says, oh, I can't answer that question. And then he dives in. Well, on page 89, uh, you know, the, the president's attempts to get you fired were due to, you know, the special counsel's investigation. And, you know, 
I hate to say it, but Mueller here is, this is not Mueller's shining moment. Uh, it doesn't really appear as though he's, he knows the ins and outs of his own report, uh, which makes this whole exchange even more funny because it's almost as if Ted Deutsch expected Mueller to, you know, read that line for him. And then through his own befuddlement, didn't have the line ready. And so now Ted Deutsch has to deliver, you know, the statement found inside of the report, which I don't know who, you know, if it, if it sort of deflates his uh, the grandiosity of his you know point here or, you know, if it le- makes Director Mueller look bad in that he doesn't exactly know what's inside of his report. But uh, it's it certainly whatever it is, it certainly doesn't really land well here and it's so interesting how deutscher asked these questions of muller notice his cadence so director muller and he gets really kind of quiet the most important question i have for you today pregnant pause is why and then you know director muller why did the president want you fired it's like he does this very like all right now it's time you know it's like you're you're the vice principal and you're sitting, you know, you you got the group of kids fighting and then you take one aside and you said, why did this happen? Tell me the <laughs> truth. You know, that's, that's the, the idea that he's, you know, going through here. And then he gets Mueller to say a lot of things that are pretty damning to president Trump. So he has Mueller actually talk about this idea of, um, the president wanted you fired because you were in investigating him for obstruction of justice. Isn't that correct? And Mueller just says, well, that's what it says in the report. So, yeah, I'm going to stand by that. And then that shouldn't happen in America. Now he goes back to framing it. And again, he slows down. The president ordered you fired. He slows it down in a way where we can all feel the impact of his words. The White House counsel knew it was wrong. Now he sl- now he speeds up again. The president knew it was wrong, but the president did it anyway. He did it anyway. And so we hear him stretching out his vocal tone and inflection in this way to accentuate his message. And what he's also doing here is he's giving a lot of statements that are true. This is true. This is true. This is true. And then he leads it a little bit. Okay. The president did this. The president did that. The president ordered you fired. The White House counsel knew it was wrong. The president knew it was wrong. But, and now he goes into the thing that is a little bit of the lead, a little bit of the persuasive element there of moving into it. And then he links the whole thing together of, well, anyone else who blatantly interfered in this way would be arrested and indicted on charges of obstruction of justice. And you've already said you were barred from holding him to justice, and that's why this committee must hold him accountable. So what he's saying here is, is that, hey, you know, Mueller, you can't answer that question. And the reason you can't answer that question is because of the rules that you are subject to. But we kind of know what you're really trying to say here. And he's really strong on that implication of this is what you're actually wanting to say, but you can't say because you still are referencing the report. And I think he does it in a much better way persuasively than a lot of the Republican members do because they're kind of going at him head on. And what Ted Deutsch here is doing is just really being very calm and very um, contented, very persuasively mellow in his voice tone to be able to really bring it down to a calmer level 
and just be able to say, you know what, this is the real truth. This is the real truth. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be listening to Representative Louis Gohmert Jr., and he's going to be just a little bit annoyed or angry with Robert Mueller. And let's take a listen to what he has to say. So most prosecutors want to make sure there's no appearance of impropriety. Uh, But in your case, you hired a bunch of people that did not like the president. Uh, Let me ask you, when did you first learn of Peter Strzok's animus toward Donald Trump? In the summer of uh, 2017. You didn't know before he was hired? I'm sorry? you You didn't know before he was hired for your team? Uh, no what? Peter Strzok hated Trump. Okay. You didn't know that before he was made part of your team. Is that what you're no, saying? I did not know that. All right. Uh, when did you and first learn? When, when he did find out, I, I acted uh, swiftly to have him reassigned elsewhere in the FBI. Well, there's some discussion about how swift that was. But when did you learn of the ongoing affair he was having with Lisa Page? About the same time I struck. Did you ever order anybody to investigate the deletion of all of their texts off of their government uh, phones? Once we found that uh, uh, Peter Strzok uh, was an author of... Uh, Did you ever May I finish? order... Well, you're not answering my question. Did you order an investigation into the deletion and reformatting of their government phones? No, there was an IG investigation ongoing. Well, listen, uh, regarding collusion or conspiracy, you didn't find evidence of any agreement, I'm quoting you, among the Trump campaign officials and any Russia-linked individuals to interfere with our U.S. election, correct? Correct. So you also note in the report that an element of any of those obstructions you referenced requires a corrupt state of mind, correct? Corrupt intent, correct. Right. And if somebody knows they did not conspire with anybody from Russia to affect the election, and they see the big Justice Department with people that hate that person coming after them, and then a special counsel appointed who hires dozen or more people that hate that person, and he knows he's innocent. He's not corruptly acting in order to see that justice is done. What he's doing is not obstructing justice. He is pursuing justice. And the fact that you ran it out two years means you perpetuated injustice. I take take your question. Gentlemen's time has expired. The witness may answer the question. I take your question. Wow. So he is pretty angry there. I mean, this is really where he tries to build a guilty by association um, argument here where, you know, sure, Mueller hired FBI agents, but, you know, it turns out that one, maybe two of them had some animus toward uh, President Trump. And so somehow because one agent had a, a dislike for President Trump meant that he couldn't be fair toward President Trump and couldn't do, you know, his investigative duties uh, fairly and would maybe, what, plant evidence or, or do something else that's biased, maybe. Um, and so somehow that that infects Mueller 
and his investigation. And so, you know, it's sort of all these planting of seeds here and all the things that's unsaid here that because one agent disliked President Trump, the entire investigation is tainted. And, you know, all of the remedies that Mueller did once he found out about it, Gomer doesn't really want to hear. Gomer doesn't, um, you know, ask for it. He certainly stops uh, Mueller when he tries to explain in more detail what he did and what the process um, of reprimanding them or holding accountable or to minimize their influence. Um, He doesn't want to hear any of it. And he stops Mueller from answering that way. And it's, you know, really a, a moment where Gomer doesn't look particularly great in, you know, he's bullying an, an old man that's just trying to answer the questions. And so, you know, I'm not really sure exactly how great this looks for Gomer, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I certainly see what he's doing here and trying to plant, uh, plant the seeds of, of the tainted investigation that was out to get Trump. Yeah, and we hear this moment here where Gomer really starts going after Mueller. He asks him a couple of questions, and when you hear how he's actually saying this, you know, it's like, you know, he says, that requires a corrupt state of mind. Mueller corrects him, corrupt intent. He says, yes, and then he's his voice just rises up to this crescendo, and what the common idea is is when a person is yelling or when a person all of a sudden just reacts to something emotionally then they must be talking in a more authentic way because obviously they're being emotional they're not thinking about it as much but really if you look at how rehearsed this was by Gomert he asked the questions and immediately upon Mueller responding to the questions he just kind of gets himself angry And if somebody knows they did not conspire with anybody from Russia to affect the election, and again, we're going here to what Trump knows. This was a big theme. This was certainly a talking point that was discussed beforehand, was this idea that Trump knew that he was innocent. This is mind reading into President Trump. Trump knew this and therefore somehow everyone else was supposed to know this and just believe him because he knew this. And they see the big Justice Department with people that hate that person coming after them and then a special counsel appointed who hires I mean, wow, just listen to how emotional this is. He's not saying that the person disliked Trump. He's saying they hate them. And it's with people, which people specifically, how many people, we don't know, but it's the big Justice Department coming after them. And then, and this is again like the store, the the additional straw that's being added to the camel's back to soon break it. Then a special counsel appointed who hires a dozen or more people that hate that person and he knows that he is innocent. And it's as though we're seeing this from Donald Trump's eyes as told by so many other people. But the story just doesn't make sense when you really step back and look at it logically. So he's not corruptly acting in order to see that justice is done. I'm really not sure about this phrase because it's almost like there should be a continuation of that. He's corruptly acting for some other reason. He's actually presupposing here that he is corruptly acting. 
what he is doing is not obstructing justice. He is pursuing justice. I'm not sure how. Does he pursue justice of himself? Can someone pursue justice of themselves? And here's a neat little language pattern. Okay. And this is actually something that people use. It's a persuasive language pattern. It's called the fact that. So the fact that blank means blank. And the fact that you ran out, ran it out for two years means that you perpetuated injustice. So what happens is, is that they take some fact and it doesn't need to necessarily be a true fact. It's just something that people can rely upon or kind of this premature conclusion based on a set of premises, however faulty, the fact that this means that, and now we give you another conclusion, and it's a conclusion that, of course, is going to, you know, broaden it out, and then, you know, Mueller here at the end just says, all right, I, I take your question. Like, you know, he's, he's as if saying, you didn't really ask me a question. Yeah, this whole thing right here is really, you know, them trying to uh, make it Make Trump into the innocent person who's just watching the police, you know, uh, break down his door and, you know, attack him, sort of put you into, you know, the, an empathetic role with President Trump. And um, and you can you can see that in particularly here with Louis Gohmert's um, statement right here. Now, you know, of course, the Democrats, they're like, well, you know, if the police are out to get you. Is it reasonable that for you to tell all of your friends to, you know, lie on your behalf to them um, that it doesn't it doesn't quite add up. But the structure of these committee hearings make it in such a way that you only hear one side at a time. So they've prepared all of this stuff weeks in advance. And, you know, we get one person from one side, then one person from, you know, the other side to, you know, almost you're hearing two different committee hearings talking about two different set of issues with very little overlap. And so, you know, you don't really get that sort of like the the cross-examination that you might want and sort of the picking apart of each side's arguments um, that, you know, you, you uh, a discerning listener might want to hear. Yeah, and it's really interesting how all of this is so prepared and is so put on. So, all right, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And join us on the web at www.subliminallycorrect.com. Tweet at us on Twitter. It's at SubliminalPod. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And when you really enjoy this show, and we know that you do, please support us on Patreon. You can support the show for as little as a cup of coffee each month. And please do support the show to make sure that we stay on the air so that we can make this show as long-lasting as possible and continue to provide you with all this great content. And so we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks.